Hey, what's up guys? Thank you for joining me today. My name is Dr. Tom LaHue and welcome to my channel where we talk about all kinds of things related to the Enneagram and understanding each other better and trying to live relatively happy lives. So if that's what you're interested in, welcome to my channel. In the description below is a link to my website, TomLahue.com. And you can book Enneagram coaching appointments for yourself or for uh, others um, or to help you in your relationships, whatever I can do to help. Also, there is a tab on my website to our certificate programs. Um, we have some coming up. Please check out the uh, website to find out more information if you want to become an Enneagram coach, um, Enneagram relationship coach. Um, and there's a, another program called Enneagram in the Christian Life. And thanks to my patrons, I really appreciate your support for um, for the channel. Now that that idea of the Enneagram and the Christian life, um, I've got forty five pages of single space notes already for that class. Um, as I've been thinking through um, the Enneagram and how it relates to uh, our spirituality, and these are the two books that primarily I've been looking at: Mirror for the Soul, Alice Freiling, and the Sacred Enneagram. Back there is the bookshelf filled with all the other Enneagram books, um, and I, I often refer to those as well. But I wanted to talk about one subject that has kind of come up in that research, in, in thinking about uh, the Enneagram and our spiritual lives or our Christian devotion. Uh, there's, there, there was a subject that popped up that I think I thought, I'm going to make a YouTube video about this because I think it's so... So interesting. And if you're interested in this kind of information, I would encourage you to sign up for that class. Um, okay. By the way, those Zoom classes, you can do them on Zoom. They're recorded. And then if you can't make the lesson, I send you the recording. And then, you know, so you don't have to be able to be available at the time. If you want to participate live in the in the class, you can. But if not, um, you can you can watch the video later, so you don't have to be able to participate live if your schedule doesn't allow you to to meet whenever we're we're scheduled to meet. Okay, so I want to talk to you about. Um, well, let me just start at the beginning here. We'll see how this develops because I'm kind of still developing this in my mind. Um, we all have stated goals. Let's start with that concept. We all have stated goals for life. If you were to sit people down, regardless of their Enneagram type, and you were to say, you know, tell me what you would like in your life. Tell me what you hope for in life. Tell me what, what your best life would look like. All of us would list certain goals. And they might be different depending on who you talk to. But I think essentially you're going to have a lot of the same, a lot of the same things, regardless of who it is. For example, some of the stated goals that we would have for life is I want to be relatively happy in life. Okay, remember I'm a seven, so you're going to hear my sevenness come out. I can't help it, right? We all are going to flavor this by our type. But I think I want to be relatively happy in life. I want to live in relative peace. I would like to do something that is important. I would like to do a job that I feel is beneficial or is valuable or is helping people in some way. Something I find meaningful. I would like to have some level of adventure in my life, some hobby or some interest that I pursue. 
Um, I would like to be loved and I would like to love others. I would like to live in some kind of relationship, network with people that I feel care about me and that I care about. And we live together in relative harmony. I would like to have a, a healthy marriage or a healthy dominant relationship, whatever we call this. Uh, but I would like to have traditionally called marriage. I would like to have a healthy marriage that my wife and I relate to each other in relative peace and harmony. We um, intimately connect with each other, share hearts and minds, and we, you know, have a great future together. Um, maybe your dream would also include raising children or having children. Maybe not, but I still think we'd all want to live in relative harmony with the people that we've chosen to surround ourselves with. I would like to have peace and quiet. I would like to have peace and quiet in my life. I'd like to have times for reflection. Uh, times to to sit and ponder the deeper things about life. I would like... Um, I would like to, um, let's see, anything else pop in my mind of basic stated goals that most of us would share in common. I would like to have my essential needs met. I'd like to have food, water, shelter, and maybe a few luxuries. But, you know, I'd like to have be healthy. I'd like to have a healthy body. I would like to not be... 20 pounds overweight, which I am, 20 pounds. That last 20 pounds, it just seems like it's very difficult to get rid of. But I would like to live in relative health. I don't want to battle and fight diseases. I want to I want to live in relative health. Okay? I would like to have money in the bank. I would like to have enough resources that I'm not stressed out and anxious all the time of how I'm going to pay my bills. I would like to be financially secure. Maybe some would even go further and say financially independent. I would like to be relatively free from anxiety. Um, I would like to live a life, again, with peace and harmony, financial peace, relationship peace. I would like to be doing something that I feel is important and maybe a little bit of admiration for that. Uh, somebody who loves me and that I can love. Okay, so these are the stated goals that I think most of us would share in common. Again, they're going to be, I realize they'll be slightly nuanced. That's me with dials, okay? Slightly nuancing these a little bit, but I think generally speaking, my assumption is, is that most of us would like to live lives that are relatively peaceful, harmonious, loving, gracious, interacting with people we love, doing something we feel is important, um, making a contribution, living in relative health. Okay, now, how does this relate to the Enneagram? Okay, well, every one of us in our Enneagram type, we all sort of think we know good and evil better than the other types. Okay? So, this is where it gets a little bit religious. In the Garden of Eden, God says, here's good and here's evil. And then the serpent says, you can know the difference between good and evil. And in our personality types, we all have different good and evil from other personality types. 
All right. So, for example, the one is maybe the most obvious, right? The one, good is good and evil is evil. Being responsible is good. Showing up and being a, a man of your word, being a person of integrity, doing what needs to be done, being effective, being useful, being productive, being clean, being orderly, being neat, being on time. Those are all what most of us would think of as traditional goodness. And evil to a one, type one, might be thought of as things as being bad, not being a person of your word, going back on your word, being dishonest, not being responsible, being lazy, most of what we all would generally agree as of good and evil. But each type goes on to develop this concept a little bit. So let's take, for example, the two. The two has their own nuanced version of good and evil. And although they might agree with a lot of things about the one, the two might nuance it a little bit to like being kind is good, being friendly, being warm, being uh, a nurturing person, being careful, being diplomatic, um, showering people with admiration and affection, building them up and encouraging them helping someone carry their load. Now that is going to look different than a type one, where a type one might think just in that pure archetype, if I carry their load for them, they're never going to learn on their own. They need to learn to be responsible. They need consequences. And that too, watch how they define good and evil a little differently. Like, eh, yeah, but... Right now, they just need some support. They just need encouragement. They need somebody to help them. And so helping them break out of their shell is good. Evil is letting them um, flounder on their own. Now, every type, I think, is going to do this. Certainly, I can think for sevens. I can speak for sevens, I think, is having adventure, having fun, making things more exciting, laughing, being joyful, being happy, being spontaneous, um, going after something, you know, exciting. Those are all good things. That's what we should be going after. We should be, we should be bringing the sunshine. You know, we should be chasing the sunshine. And evil would be missing those opportunities. Um, causing pain to others, certainly, um, being gloomy or, or dark or sinister, um, forcing other people and restricting their freedoms. Freedom is uh, good. Freedom and opportunity is good. Restricting people's freedoms, that's, that's evil. That's bad. Well, notice how that seven and one are going to clash. You know, ones, the proverbial managers, Restrict people's freedom. They tell them what time they have to be at work, what time they have to clock in, what time they clock out, what is acceptable behavior, what is not acceptable behavior. And so sevens and ones are going to clash there on their definitions of good and evil. Eights, not being vulnerable, not being taken advantage of, being strong, being powerful. Um, those are all good things to an eight. Being uh, vulnerable to people and making yourself vulnerable to them um, is a great evil. Nines, 
we could go around the dial. And I think in the class we probably will go around the dial. Nines causing problems uh, is evil. Making things awkward is evil. Man, and having peace is good. And being peace-loving and, and, and not upsetting people is good. And think about the difference between that and a five. Fives often make things awkward because... The five-wing four is an iconoclast. They pull the rug out from underneath people's belief systems. You know, a person says, I believe, and then they make their statement, and the five says, well, let me show you how your assumptions are off. Let me show you how they're faulty. This is going to make you feel awkward. But the truth, fives, eights, the truth is more important than your feelings. Look at how different that is than a nine who doesn't want things to be awkward, a two who wants everyone to get along and a five who says that's not what's important what's important is and i think these these different operating systems that we have create impulses and compulsions that want us to move toward what we feel is valuable important right and true and good and away from what we feel is evil or bad or uncomfortable or disconcerting and so the reason I think one of the reasons why I think we get into aggravations with each other is because we have different operating systems. Now we all may have similar stated goals, but when it comes down to it in our personality type, our impulses and compulsions are moving toward what our personality type says is good. Basically, the personality is telling you, trust me in this. I will move you toward a happy life. I will move you toward a life with meaning and purpose. And I Take my hand and follow me and I will lead you into this wonderful life. And many times our personality, you know, our definitions of good and evil and what's right and what's true and what should be done, many times our personality does lead us into a good place, a successful place, a happy place. But sometimes our personality is telling us that something needs to be avoided and something is bad and something is evil and something is, you know, something we should get angry about or frustrated with or hurt by when it's really not truly an evil thing it's just another person's another person's good okay maybe i'm getting confusing and let me try to make this a little simpler let me use the illustration of a 7 and a 2 going to disney world okay something that i can relate to so my wife is a 2 i'm a 7 right so imagine this scenario of the seven going to Disney World and let's get to as many rides as possible. Come on, we're going to have a great day. This is going to be fun. Let's go, go, go. Move, move, move. Experience, experience and amp up the experience any way you can. And so the definition to a good day is get on as many rides as possible. Now, that's the good. What would be the evil for the seven? Slowing down, delaying, um, you can't ride all the rides. You have to wait for others. You have to be patient. You have to sit and and uh, wait for somebody else to do what they want to do. They want to go to a show. Now, look how that directly contrasts with a two. A two, what's the good for a two? That we have a wonderful time together, that we experience this, this day together, that we slow down and nurture and care for. And so do you see how this day could be set up for conflict? 
because the twos value system is slow down and wait for the kids. We all need to stick together. We all need to stay together. We value each other. We care for one another. The seven, let's move. Let's go. Hurry. Come on. We'll split up. We'll split up. The fast ones go with me. The slow ones stay with mom. And there could be frustration between a seven and a two over this experience, but I want you to see that both of them are moving toward what their personality type says is good, and they're both reacting against what their personality type is telling them is bad. Now, is the seven's value system bad? No, it's just different than the two's. And this is going to happen in all of our relationships. I think this is going to happen in all of our relationships. You're going to get upset with your son or your daughter because if you're a one, for example, and you want your child to be productive and be a good citizen and go to school and get an education and do something important with their life and be responsible, and let's say they're not a one. So to them, their good is not being bothered, not having problems, um, being withdrawn, uh, getting more information, making sure they have all the facts before they take action, um, having their own time, um, relaxing. You can see how you're going to clash. You're going to think there's something wrong with this person. There's something wrong with them because what? Ultimately, they don't share the same definitions of good that you have and the things that you feel like are evil, they're doing. They're doing these things. They're they're being lazy. They're being irresponsible. They're not they're not being true to their word. They're being deceptive. They're cutting corners to get ahead, for example. Well, if their goal is to win and achieve, then cutting corners to get ahead is their good. Not that it should be done, but I'm just saying it's they're doing what their good is telling them to do. They're being effective. Hey, they cut corners, but they got the job done. They're very pragmatic. And so they won the trophy. They're being effective. Okay, so hopefully you can see, at least, even if you don't agree, at least maybe you can see the way my mind is working, that all of us in our personality types are defining good and evil a little bit differently, which that causes opportunities for clashes to happen between individuals. Okay, I want to go have fun. I want to go out for the night. You don't want to be with me. You don't want to you don't want to be home with me. Oh, that's not what I said. Okay? Um or okay, and we could go down all the types. All right. Time for drink. Okay. Now, what is a healthy and what is an unhealthy response to all of this? Um a healthy person, a healthy personality type, a healthy seven, a healthy one, a healthy nine. Part of what it means to be healthy, I think, is you are now, you have become aware of your impulses and compulsions. In other words, you've stepped outside of yourself enough that you're able to see, oh, this is how my personality type defines good and evil. Oh, and that's different than other people's. I see it now. I see that as a type seven, I am impulsed in these certain ways. My compulsions push me forward or restrain my movement forward because of my sevenness. My personality type is compelling me to move toward 
what I think is good and move away from and shun and hate what I think is bad. And now that I've learned about the Enneagram, I now have had the veils removed off of my eyes a little bit to see how my particular personality type is impulsed and compelled. So now I'm seeing that, oh, I see the world through this lens of this personality type, which can be a great blessing much of the time, which can be a great advantage much of the time. You know, every personality type has some superpowers that they bring to the table. But there's going to be a percentage of the time when my personality type is moving me in a direction or away from a direction that might not ultimately be for my best interest, okay? So let's say it this way. There's going to be times when my personality type is causing me to be impulsed or compelled to do, think, or act in a way that goes directly against my stated goals for my life. And in the moment, I need to be able to observe that. Remember, we all have stated goals. I want to have a relatively happy marriage. I want to relate well to the people in my home. I want to live a life with meaning and purpose and do a job that I care about. I want to have relative peace and harmony in my life. So those are my stated goals, right? But in the moment, in the moment, I can be so compelled and impulsed by my personality type that I would think and do things and say things out loud that would actually contradict and go against those stated goals. And I would in the moment not realize this because my impulses are so strong and they're promising me that I'm moving toward the right direction. For example, let's take that one, for example, who is screaming at their family who's yelling at their family because they didn't put their things away. And so they walk in angry-faced, yelling at their family, causing what? Strife, conflict in their own home. Not that kids and people don't need instructions, because we all do, especially kids. But look at you as a one. You would say that your goal is to live in relative peace and harmony with people, and to live without a lot of aggravation in your life. Yet look at you, look at you, look at what you're doing in the moment. You're literally screaming at the people that you say you love. Or look at the two who's angry and hurt by the people that he loves or she loves because I don't think they care enough. I don't think that they're available enough to me. And so now you're hurt and angry at the people that you really do want to love desperately. Okay, look at, um, I, we could do any type, all right? Um, I come back to seven because I'm a seven, right? Look at the seven leaving a family reunion to go to the bike shop because in their mind, I've got to learn more about that those new bikes. I want to go see and experience those new mountain bikes, those new electric bikes. I'm going to leave my family reunion. I'm going to leave my family get together because gluttony, because I'm compelled to go out into this world and look at stuff and see more stuff and want more stuff. Now, 
What's your stated goal, Tom? My stated goal is to have a loving family, to relate well. Well, why are you leaving them? Why in the moment does it seem good to you to abandon ship and leave the people behind that you want to relate to and have this wonderful relationship with, yet you're not available? And that could happen to a one, two, not being available because they're at work. Or the three, not being available because they're at work. In their, in their personality type, their personality type is pushing that three to be effective. Pushing that three to, to make a, an impact in this world. Okay, well, what about your family? Wouldn't you as a three say, oh yeah, of course I want to have a wonderful family. I want to have a wonderful marriage. I want. Okay, well, why you're not available to them. Why? Because in the moment, your impulses are telling you, go to work, go to work, keep pushing push yourself. And maybe, you know, that four who um, wants to be understood and wants to understand others and wants to be creative, um, wants to live in general peace in this life, yet may not experience much peace in their life, comparing themselves endlessly with others, differentiating themselves endlessly with others, could be exhausting. And yet, I'm sure your stated goal would be something like to live in harmony with others and to live at peace and have a relatively, you know, peaceful life. Okay. Now, I don't know that I have all of this thought out perfectly. And you might be sitting there losing your mind saying, I don't, I don't think this is, I don't think, okay. If I've just got you thinking in this direction, I'm satisfied. If I've just got you thinking about this, I'm happy with that. Is just I want you to see that oftentimes let's go back to the let's go back to summary here of this. Our personality type comes with certain impulses and compulsions attached to it that say this is what you should be caring about in life. This is what you should be avoiding in life. This is good, this is evil. Sometimes that personality type, those compulsions, if we acted on them, would lead us in a direction that is in direct contrast to the goals that we would otherwise state for ourselves. In your best moments, if you sat down and wrote out 10 things that you hope are true about your life, if you compared that list with how you're actually behaving in the moment, how you're actually speaking to people, how you're actually relating to people, those would often at times be in direct contrast to one another. You say you want to have good relationships, yet you're so impulsed to withdraw away from people and to not connect with them. You're so impulsed to dominate conversations. You're so impulsed to tell about you and your experience that how are you going to develop good relationships when you are impulse to not make yourself available or to comply with other people you're going to your 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 behaviors your impulses are in direct contrast to what you would say you want in life i want you to think about that i want you to see that okay i've talked to fives for example that are just like that you know, they want to have friendships, they want to have deep relationships, meaningful relationships, yet they find themselves having a difficult time relating to people. 
sitting by themselves, not entering into conversations, withdrawn stance, or dominating conversations, but having a difficult time like interacting without taking over the subject and just in a compliant way. Yet they would say, I want to have great relationships, yet they isolate themselves at times away from the people that they could have those relationships with. Okay. All right. I think you get the point. So a healthy person is someone who is aware that this is happening. And so what do they do? They observe that their impulse may not actually get them the result that they really want in life. And so they catch themselves in the act. Okay, there it is. They observe themselves. And this is going to require some degree of separation away from your personality type. All right. This is what authors mean when they talk about your true self and your false self. Okay, the false self is that impulse and compelled and and just acting on impulses and compulsions. This is boring. I got to get away. Okay, this is boring. I got to get away. Yet you want to finish a degree. You're going to have to stay in class. But this is boring. I got to get away. So your goal and your impulses are fighting with each other. If you over-identify with the false self or the personality type, then I've got to go. My my impulses are telling me that I have to go. I can't be at work today. I can't be in class today. I, it's sunny outside. I've got to move. Okay, so you're going to have to see that there's a little bit of a break that's going to happen here where you become a little more objective in your thinking and now you're starting to evaluate your impulses rather than just act on them. You're saying, is this really going to bring for me the best life? Is this really going to move me toward what I really want in life? And if it's not, then why would I do it? Okay, boom, there's your gut check. If this action I'm about to take, yelling at my kids or yelling at my wife or going off away from the family get together to the bike shop um, or... um, um, disconnecting from everyone and going, you know, and being in my room by myself or not dealing with conflict or being aggressive and taking over the, you know, whatever it is. If this, what feels right to me at the time, and it is a feeling, it's an impulse that I could observe, I don't have to act on it. If this impulse is going to be detrimental to what I really want in life, why would I do it? And yet, you have to admit that we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We do the very things that can disrupt and destroy our lives and the people around us that we love and care about. We do what makes sense to us in the moment, but with more careful observation doesn't really make sense because it goes against what we would say are the goals for our life. Okay? So if we follow our impulses, the false self, and we just stick with that and do what feels right in the moment, we may find ourselves doing the very things that go against what we really want in life. Why would we do that? So what is a healthy person then? A healthy personality type or a healthy seven or a healthy nine or a healthy five, part of what has to be in the definition of that is somebody who understands that this is happening. First of all, is aware. All right. We bring awareness. Oh, 
The reason why I have a hard time being focused and staying with something is I'm a seven feeling seven stuff, okay? So now I bring awareness to what are those impulses? And this is where you watch videos or you read books. You know, you get out the uh, the old faithful big books and you say, okay, what does it mean to be a four? What does it mean to be a six? And you learn about those impulses and compulsions and then you find them showing up in your own life and you say, you know, if I were to say this out loud, what seems good to me seems funny. And funny is good. Funny lightens the mood. But if I were to say this out loud, this might cause hurt feelings. And I really don't want that. I said in my stated goals that I want to relate well to people and I want to be loved and love others. If I follow what seems good to me in the moment and say this out loud, although it feels good to me because it's funny and it lightens the mood, it may not actually correspond to what I really, it may not bring the results that I want it to bring. Okay. Let's say it that way. So a healthy person is somebody who is aware that their impulses and compulsions, although they feel right in the moment, or they're moving away from something that feels awful and awkward and uncomfortable, right? that those impulses and compulsions are not always moving me in a direction that is going to be in my best interest or in the best interest of those that I live with or care about, okay? I think part of what it means to be healthy is you're catching yourself and you're saying, oh, the reason I'm feeling this way is I'm a I'm a four feeling four stuff. I'm a five feeling five stuff. Um, and... If I follow this train and I get on this horse and I ride it all the way to Texas, I could end up working against the very thing that I want in life, a great marriage, a great home, a great environment, uh, full-time employment, financial security, okay, and and the like. So uh, it's learning to observe our reactions and impulses, which goes along with this other book I'm reading right now, Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Super book. I think there might be another certificate class coming here at some point in the future on the Enneagram and brain health or something like that. Um, let's see. There was a book that I read called um, Brain Health. I wish I had some brain health. Um, okay, I'll think of it in a minute. All right. That's funny, isn't it? You talk about brain health and then you you you, you obviously need to work on it. Um, okay, so now if you wanted to get spiritual, okay, if you were inclined, and this is really where that Enneagram and Christian life is going to really pick up and, and move forward. But if you wanted to get spiritual, then you could ask this question like, you know, this good that I have defined for myself um, can it ever fully really be met in this life? Okay, like let's say that desire for love, to love others and to be loved like the two, right? Is that ever really going to be satisfied in this life? Okay, mm. the sevens, desire for gluttony, for more, There's just one more thing I need. Okay, 
how come when I get that one more thing, a couple days later, I start seeing another thing that I need in life? In other words, will my desire for more ever really truly be satisfied in this life and with the things of this world? Hmm. Okay. What about that six's need for security and assurance and guidance? You know, they get everything solved and they get it all figured out and they feel relatively calm and at ease until the next crisis happens or until somebody comes along with a better argument and then they don't know anymore. I'm not sure. I don't know. Will you ever feel 100% secure in this life? Will you ever feel 100% satisfied in this life? The eights, will you ever feel like you have absolute control to the point that you can relax and rest? Do you, Are you in control of your health, in control of your work environment, in control of your... Do you ever get to the point where you can feel like I'm in control now or I have complete peace as a nine and I'm living in harmony and tranquility and there's nothing to disrupt that peace or is it ever good enough? for the one you know can they ever cease from all their relentless effort to make things right will they ever be in a job or be in a home or be in an environment that is measuring up and doesn't need improvement in any way can you see that i believe the answer is no i don't think in this life we'll ever find 100 percent complete satisfaction uh, there's a sense in which when somebody dies, what do we say? We say rest in peace. What do we mean by rest? Not just, okay, they've got their eyes closed and their arms are folded and they look like they're at rest. But there's a sense in which that good that we're impulsed to move toward, we can rest from it now. Because it could never be fully realized in this life. Will the four ever feel like they fully understand themselves or that others fully understand them and that they are secure in that? Will the three ever get to the end of all the championships and all of the salesperson of the year and all the the trophies? Will the five ever get to the end of knowledge and information? Will they ever feel like they've mastered everything? Not in this life. Not in this life. So what does that tell you? It tells you that this life in some way is incomplete. That there's a hunger within us for something that can never be really fully realized in this life. Okay? And that's where it could get a little spiritual. I didn't go, you know, Rambo Christian on you and preach a sermon, you know, to you, but... I do want you to get, you know, your your mind thinking that there's a sense in which our personality type, according to the Enneagram, I think is showing us you're never really going to be 100% satisfied in this life. Now, I can blame everybody else. The reason I'm not satisfied is because you won't give me more money. Because you won't give me more freedom. You won't let me get that bike I want or that electric guitar I want or you guys are too slow or see what happens? Instead of I need to learn to accept that I'm never going to have 
my good fully realized in this life, I go out blaming everybody for causing me to feel this way, which is going to do what? Work against my stated goals because now I'm going to be quarreling and in conflict with people. Not going to be good. Not going to be good. So I think that where does this end up? This ends up in that there's room. There's room for at least, let's say, spiritual development in our life. Even if we didn't say room for God, there's room for some spiritual awakening here that the problem isn't everybody else, um, that they're not conforming to my standard of good and evil. The problem is, is that I'll never fully realize 100% attainment of my good in this life. And I'll never fully realize 100% avoidance of evil in my life. And that might just indicate that maybe I'm built for something more than just this life. All right. Well, if that got your brain clicked on and thinking, oh, the book I was thinking of is the Brain-Based Enneagram. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Have a blessed day, guys. Be present to life. Um, don't be so tied into autopilot of what good and evil is for your type that you're not able to be available for what life really is. Remember what your stated goals are. Maybe write them down. And um, let's make sure that we don't lose sight of those um, in our pursuit of whatever's good, according to my uh, my personality type. All right, guys. Be present to life. I'll see you next time. Thanks.